the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. In addition to taking care of one another inside the church, what if we developed a lifestyle of taking care of the most needy outside the walls of the church? How would that change the community and our city? Bob Moffitt, president and founder of Harvest Foundation in Phoenix, along with Pastor Julian Gibb, talk with pastors and leaders about how sacrificial love by those in the church to those in need outside the church has helped people see and embrace Jesus Christ. It's that demonstration of Jesus' greatest commandment that we'll hear more about today on The Kingdom and Its Stories. Welcome, everybody, to The Kingdom and Its Stories. We're so delighted to have you with us this morning and to have Bethany Jensen as our guest. And, Bethany, we welcome you to the program. But before I get started with Bethany, I just want to remind us all of the purpose of this broadcast. The purpose is to interview people who can challenge us by their lives to examine how we can better be Jesus' hands and feet in our lives, in our arenas, the arenas where God has put each of us individually. So, Bethany, welcome. We're delighted to have you with us today. Thank you so much. I'm really honored to be here. And yeah, just so excited to get to share my story and the stories of so many other young people around the world who are truly making a difference, not just saving lives. Bethany, give us, give us the elevator speech. Who is Bethany Jensen? You know, in so many ways, I'm just a daughter of God, right? I think that's, mm-hmm. if you look at that as my first identity, that means everything that I do needs to be in alignment with what is he calling me to do. And it's led me to a lot of things that I didn't expect I'd ever be led to. I grew up in Oregon, so in a place that's known to be a bit more, you could say, having very diverse opinions on things. And <laughs> that's to put it Right, right. Very mild way of putting it. But when I got to community college, I wanted to make friends and I realized that I found there was a pro-life club in my university. I got involved. And that's through that I started to realize this is truly the greatest human rights crisis of our time. Like one out of three people are being terminated before birth. And that's a statistic by the World Health Organization. So it's a global statistic. One out of three? One out of three. Globally. 70, yeah, 73 million every year around the world. So at 1 million in the U.S. and then another 72 million outside of the U.S. That's incredible. Go ahead. And when I, yeah, when I started to get to know this, I realized the weight of it. And I thought, man, this is hard. I was facing opposition at my university. I realized that there was a very few people, even amongst the Christians who I knew, at college who are willing to tackle this issue and talk about it and do something about it. But that made me eventually realize, I actually, I have to do something because it's the people who, we always respect people like MLK. 
you know, we say, wow, I wish if I was in that time in history, I would have done something. But how often do we actually examine what are the situations that we have today, which are similar to what MLK had, which is injustice that is unpopular to stand up against, unpopular to fight? And how often do we actually go and tackle those situations? And those are the true modern day heroes, right? Like as young people, we love to watch those, you know, hero movies and the Avengers and whatever those are. You like hope that, oh, I was going to be the one to save, you know, that person whose life is in danger. But I think we sometimes forget that we actually have a modern day story playing out and we have an opportunity to step into that today. And so you saw an opportunity for you to step in to that crisis, this crisis. I I did. And I realized that I had to do something. You know, I ended up actually going to Auschwitz when I was in about 19 in college. And I remember standing there on the memorial where, you know, 1.5 people had lost, 1.5 million, million people had lost their lives in these gas chambers on either side of me. But I looked at them and I thought, and then I looked off in the distance and there was a white house in the distance. And I thought, why didn't those people do something? Mm. And I thought to myself, well, surely they knew that their life was in danger. If they spoke up, if they did anything right, they would be killed and they'd be the next person gassed. But then I realized, wait, I mean, yeah, but the other there was other people who could have done something about this, right? If everybody had risen up and done something, it wouldn't have been able to happen. And that's when I realized that what was I actually doing myself? And eventually God called me to work full-time in the pro-life movement. He ended up showing me this is a really a global problem when I went to China. And then the Lord has been directing my steps. I moved to Europe. I lived there for three years. I helped start the first European-wide pro-life student organization. And then I moved back to the U.S. to found Pro-Life Global as people had reached out from Africa and Asia saying, will you come here and will you help us to also start these youth movements of lifesavers and communities? Okay. Now that sounds like a summary of the organization that you founded. So tell us about the organization. Um, how long ago, give us a little history and tell us where it is today and, 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 and what the main emphasis is of Pro-Life Global. Pro-Life Global, our goal is to really empower our generation, the young generation, especially in the church, to form local teams. So we call them life teams, which are formed in universities and high schools and in communities. But we really believe that universities and high schools are the modern day battlegrounds that are being abandoned today. And in many ways, they're very difficult for the church to penetrate. But even in secular countries, even in countries where Christianity is persecuted and it's illegal to share the gospel, we have life teams that are forming in universities and in schools because this is an issue that's an issue of dignity, of respect, of human rights. And it's an issue that people of many different faith backgrounds can all get behind and work together to be the hands and feet of Christ and in community and in relationships. They can be able to share about that true life, that eternal life that we have, while we're working to save the life that honestly God has made and given such a unique purpose and plan and time as this. Bethany, give us a sense of the scope. Um, you know, uh, how how many teams do you have, 
How many countries? How long have they been working? Yeah, great question. So we're only two years old, so we're young, fresh. We have about 100 teams in total, about 15 countries. So some of them just started up a few months ago. We're going to constantly in a phase of starting new teams. A few of them have been around for a while. Actually, a cool story is how we ended up getting founded. So after I was, when I was still living in Europe, I did an online training for some different people from Africa okay. mainly yes, and Asia. And in this training, there was an African who was working in the slums of Kenya. And he invited me and some other people to come to Kenya to help them to actually start these teams in their slums to help the girls in pregnancy crisis. So in that process, I thought, surely there must exist other organizations that already help young people in Africa to start these teams, right? So I did some research and I came across the African Life Youth Foundation based in Uganda. And so got in touch with them and found out that they had literally just started the first high school pro-life teams in Uganda. And then we ended up forming a team to go down to Uganda two years ago where we got some training for them on a week-long camp. While I was there, I got to hold baby Elijah, one of the babies that had just been saved by that club that had been formed, one of the clubs that had been formed in the school literally only a few months before. And these students had found out that someone, some of these students are Muslims, honestly, and they'd found out someone in their community was pregnant, one of the girls in their school, and they would find out, oh, she's going to get kicked out of her home. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but in Uganda and Kenya, it's a massive honor and shame culture. And so when a girl gets pregnant out of marriage, she, by the cultural standards, cannot continue to live with her parents and not continue to live with her father because it's this massive cultural shame. So somehow, sometimes they're able to, actually young people will go on behalf of the girl and go and talk to the tribal elders bring the tribal elders with them to the girl's parents to have mm. a conversation with the girl's parents to see if they can find a way for her to stay in the home. Wow. And sometimes that's not possible. And so then they will, the students themselves will pitch together money to buy a mattress so that she can then live with her grandma. She can live with her what? With her grandmother, okay. for example. All right. Yeah. And so we visited one of the girls who had just chosen life, just given birth, who was living with her grandma. She had her, you know, mattress and mosquito net over top of it and over the baby's, you know, crib. And there was a little chicken running around in the house, you know, and it was, but it was so beautiful to see she had her baby and she was joyful and grateful for that. And that was and No, that was actually a different baby. baby okay. So yes, baby Elijah was a little bit further down we drove down the road and it was dark by this point and we couldn't hardly find this house because there was no street lights out there and no lights in the front of the house. We walk in using flashlights and our cell phones. It's completely pitch black. So no electricity in the house, probably about three bedrooms, you know, dirt floor, brick home. And we are greeted by a whole bunch of kids. There's probably 10 kids that this family has. The oldest is a 16 year old daughter. And she's the one that got pregnant. And she thought of getting an abortion. But the students at her local high school mm-hmm. said, hey, we're coming alongside you. We'll help you. And as we walked in this house, they invited us to come in. They had a few little chairs for us. They said, sit down in the chairs. 
And we got to speak with the mother, Sarah, and speak with the parents. And they actually, we got to pray for the daughter and for the baby, Elijah, who was wow. just born, as well as the parents were so grateful. And they even prayed to bless us. And it was so, it was just so beautiful to see. They were like, thank you so much for the help that you've given to, yeah, to our daughter. And, and, this, and they this, were so grateful the grandchild was there. Yeah, and and this Bethany was because of the club, in in the high school yes. that yes. you guys yes. started that yes. the students be aware of the importance of life. Wow. Yeah. Before and, we go on, you know, and, I, uh, hold on just a second. I, I need to do a station break here. Uh, and remind the folks who are listening that you're listening to the kingdom and its stories and you're watching. And, uh, whether you're listening and or watching, we welcome you to this program where we interview people who can help us think better. Uh, how can we better be Jesus hands and feet in our lives in, in the, um, in the areas of influence in our society where God has put us? So Bethany Jensen, who is the founder and president of Pro-Life Global, is with us today. And she's giving us some really inspiring stories of how young people are being organized in their communities, either young people groups in high schools or in colleges, to advocate for life. And the statistic that... um Bethany gave a little earlier in the program, which just blows my mind, is that one out of three lives are terminated before birth. That, that That's just overwhelming. No wonder our father's heart is so broken. And, and, uh, so Bethany, tell us, tell us some more stories that would Give us an example of what individual people um, that have you have recruited and trained in your groups. How many groups around the world and in how many countries? So we have about 100 at the moment in 15 countries and quite a few more in progress that are starting. But, you know, one thing I wanted to share, Bob, is that even myself, I'm a normal person. And, like, it was when we were in Uganda in the back of this Jeep seeing these lives that were being transformed, the young people who were mentoring, discipling in their walk with God and their faith, as well as in how to be a lifesaver. We we literally went to an outreach in that little village and we had conversations for a couple of hours with people. And during that time, there was about three girls who were pregnant in that very moment wow. who we ended up getting to speak to their parents, their grandparents, and plead with them and help those girls even to get to choose life. Wow. wow. And it was out of this that three of us, so there's a group of six of us who were all people in our 20s. We were all young people who said we wanted to help raise up other young people. We'd taken our vacation time, fundraised or paid for our own flights to Uganda. And when we were there in the back of a the bus, there was three of us that said, hey, let's do this. Let's found Pro-Life Global. So I'm actually a co-founder, which is a blessing to have other people who helped us to launch it. And we were all young. You know, we all said, well, it's obviously not being done. Someone needs to do it. So 
We, even though we don't really know how to start a nonprofit, we will do it. And I say that because I know sometimes the listener, you may be feeling like, I don't know what to do. I can't do it. I'm just, I'm just a stay at home mom, or I'm just, you know, a construction worker, or I'm just a high school student. But I want to tell you, if you see a challenge in your community that needs to be solved, God's shown you that for a reason, and he will empower you and give you and equip you to be able to do something about it, even if you feel like you can't on your own. Amen. Amen. Go ahead. So when I was actually, we sent a team this summer. Unfortunately, I didn't get to go, but we sent a team to Burundi. And last, so we actually did some trainings I got to do about a year and a half ago online for students from Burundi. Burundi is a very small French-speaking country in Africa. And one of the most impoverished countries in Africa, where about 80% of the population is unemployed. And geographically, so, it's, it's really in the heart of Africa. And yes, it, in the country, yes. Geogra- you know, physically, if you look out on the map, it's shaped like a heart. <laughs> and uh, Wow, I didn't even realize that. I love that. that. Thank great. you for mentioning that, Bob. Yeah. So okay, here we have Burundi. And these students, they actually reached out to us, and they, they were med students. And they said, we want to do something in Burundi. We want to start some campus pro-life teams. And so we did training for them, three-day online workshop, a few hours each day. Again, it was in English, and French is their native language. But they did the very best they could to translate for each other, to figure right. it out. Right. And, and then in the fall of last year, there was one of their campus students that noticed from their pro-life team that one of the girls on campus had been pregnant, but was no longer. And they thought, what happened to her? So they went to the dorm room and they found some blood and they followed the blood to the latrine. And if you've been to Africa, you know that a latrine is a hole in the ground, essentially. And so they found on that campus latrine, they looked in the latrine and they found a newborn baby, a baby girl. And this baby was still alive. And so they pulled out baby Nathia And they washed her off. And then she ended up actually getting adopted and raised as being raised by someone in that local community. You know what that sounds like to me? It sounds like the early church. I don't know if um, you've you've read some of the, the histories of the early church, but that's exactly what early Christians did. They went to the latrines. They went to the garbage dumps and they picked up live newborn babies and they adopted them and they raised them. And that's one of the reasons that the Christian population in the early Roman empire grew so fast is because Mm -hmm. of all these adopted children that had been rescued Mm -hmm. out of latrines and garbage dumps. Wow. Wow. That, that is, so they found this live baby in an African dream. And it was adopted. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. She's now, they just sent me a video of her running around and wearing cute (laughs) little dress, you know, she's now about a year old and yeah. And it's just so beauty to see beautiful. And Nephi is only one of at least 15 babies that these teams in Burundi have helped to save over the past year. 
And it's just, you know, the crazy thing is for me as an American, I've had conversations with people about abortion, but there's few times where I can say I've actually, I don't even know if I've directly helped to save a life, but I feel so humble and honored to be able to say that I was able to share with someone else how to do it. And they did. And, you know, it's beautiful because this is not just happening in like Africa, also in Asia, in Southeast Asia, where we have some leaders that we trained in March. We went there, we did training in person. A few weeks ago, I got a phone call from one of our leaders and he said, there's this girl down in this rural area who she got pregnant and she gave birth and she's blind. And she's been living with a few men who are her caregivers. We don't know how she got pregnant. The but mother's not that. So, yes, the mother. Yes, the woman who just yeah. gave birth, the mother, was blind. Right. So, but the caregivers refused to let her into the house after she was sent home from the hospital. And so she was living outside in the rain with her newborn baby. And so the local. Christian community, the local believers said, we have to do something about this. So our leader drove, like took the train, took his own money together to take the train several hours. And he doesn't even work. This is his full-time ministry is working the pro-life movement. So he and his wife live off of very little money, a hundred dollars a month. And they took the train down to visit this girl. They were then able to, they spoke with a local, you know, pastor and his wife, the pastor and his wife took her into their home, and then they found a maternity home several states away, so it'd be quite a several-hour journey, right. where she would be able to go to live. And, and But one of the biggest fears that they had is that culturally, in Southeast Asia, abortion in that particular community wasn't done. But what was done was a few days after the baby was born, about three days after the baby baby's born, yes. oftentimes people would put salt in the tongue or grains of rice and the baby would be then choked and die. And so that was their fear that we need to make sure the woman is safe and the baby's safe because we didn't want someone or maybe the woman and the mom out of desperation to, yes. to kill her baby. Oh, wow. Wow. I, I, uh, I just get chills when I, when I think of of the drama of all of this and the people that you're telling us about are not big people they're not people with status they're people who God has touched and given them a sense of compassion for these babies who've been made in his image Bethany I'm I, I'm just overwhelmed how old are you? <laughs> I'm 28. No, 29. Actually, 29. I don't know. Okay. I said 28. <laughs> you know, and sometimes we think, you know, and and the age of some of these young people, you're, what what would be the average age of the of the young people you're in, you're training in these uh, pro life groups? So some of them are 14, 15. Some of them are 19 and 20. So they're in university, the university leaders are, you know, that 18 to 22, 24 range. And yeah, the high school kids are high, are school, high kids. school kids. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, 
overwhelms me to think that when we think of systemic change within our culture, that it takes somebody with maturity that's a little older uh, to make a difference. And, you know, what, what I'm seeing through you, Bethany, is that, is that God can take and use young people. Yes. Who have no credibility generally within society and use them to make a difference in the life. Absolutely. A lifetime difference in the lives of other human beings. We've got 30 seconds. What would you say to those who are listening to encourage? If God can use, if God can use a young person, he can use you. And I challenge to you is to really ask the Lord and to look around your community. What is it that is happening in your community that you need to do something about? And then gather other people together. Maybe those are, if you're a high school student, other high school kids. You know, or challenge your high school kids and help them to do something. Or if you're a mom, other moms. And so how can we tackle the greatest human rights crisis of our, our time? and save lives in our community. Bethany, thank you. Thank you so much, Bob. Thank you so much for joining us for this session of The Kingdom and His Stories. May God bless you and empower you to continue and multiply what He's given you a vision for. God bless you. Jesus defines discipleship as come and follow me. Next Monday at 5.30 p.m., Faith Talk 1360, we'll hear another testimonial from a leader demonstrating how they and the people of the church are sacrificially loving the needy and beginning to see real change in their communities. If you have a personal example of how you are being the hands and feet of Jesus with your neighbors, we'd love to hear from you. Enter your story at harvestfoundation.org. That's harvestfoundation.org on the Contact Us tab. You can also subscribe to the podcast on The Kingdom and Its Stories on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.